Do you know there are some things that you should never forget? Uh, my wife gave me a really gracious gift on our, our wedding day. She'd actually taken my wedding ring and she got engraved our wedding date inside my wedding ring. Yeah. Any guys in the room are like, yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. If there are any newly married guys, that date is a really important date. And that really helped me out a lot until one uh, day when I was swimming in a cold mountain stream and came up and my ring was gone. And I never did get that ring back. But I remember there was a date in there. It was sometime in May. No, I know it. I know what that is. Because there are some things that are very important to remember. But there are something, there's actually one thing, that if you forget, has devastating consequences. So we're going to jump into a story this morning. It's going to be a little different than typical mornings, but if you want to follow along, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And we're hopping right into the middle of this thing. So I want to set you up a little bit, because there's a pretty significant transition that's taking place in the Hebrew people. They've grown from a family into a tribe, and then from tribes in, uh, for tribe, from tribe, a tribe, into tribes, and into a nation, and now into a kingdom. And for the first time as a nation, they're going to have a human king. And this is very significant, because they've settled themselves into this uh, hillside next to this valley. Just east of them is this valley. It's an incredible valley for agriculture, and there's this advanced civilization of Canaanites that are there. And, and honestly, it's very intimidating as they've gone into there. They're facing all sorts of obstacles, but the obstacles don't stop. They just keep on coming because there's another group of people that have migra- migrated down from the coast into the Canaan shore, and they started moving west. And so as Israel's moving east, the Philistines, or as the locals would call them, this, this uh, sea people, were continuing to move forward, and they were also a force to be reckoned with. And so as the Hebrew people occupy Canaan as well, and they're growing out, they continue to face these odds. And every time they do, they get scared. They continue to ask for some kind of a king that could save them. And although this king was not out of God's plan, the reason for asking for it is disappointment. That somehow there's going to be some kind of security that comes through this human, through this person. That somehow he's going to be able to advance and help them. That they'd rather abandon God as their king than hold to and, and go to this human king. So we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. and said, then Samuel, who is a, a judge or uh, became a prophet for the Hebrew people for Israel. He said to all of Israel, behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you've said to me. And I have appointed a king over you. And this king's name was Saul. And again, as I said, this wasn't out of God's plan, but their motivation was what we find difficult. Because in Acts chapter 13, verse 21, it tells us that God is the one who placed Saul there. And also, as we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, you can find in verses 14 through 20, God told them, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to take someone out of the Hebrew people, and I will place them as a king. But he's not going to be a king like the other kings. He's not going to rely on his army, his military might for his power. He's not going to rely on his alliances, or as he states it in there, his, the other wives that he can get. He's, he's not going to rely on his money. His power and his strength is going to come through me. And so the king that I set up has an opportunity to do incredible things in working in tandem 
with God. But as he continues through here, Samuel wants to set him up. And so he shows him how his leadership has helped them through this journey. I've tried to follow God and let him be our leader. And the people agreed, you have. And then we get to verse 6, and Samuel does something really interesting. He starts to go and take them on a journey with him. He says, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. He starts to take them back to a significant time in their history. In fact, he mentions Moses. It reminds me of this time when Moses is bringing all the children of Israel, and they've come to the Jordan, and they're crossing over into the land of Canaan, this, this promised land they've been waiting for. And all through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses continues to want to tell them and remind them of what God's done and bring them through this journey so that they can keep their eyes on God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Moses, in what is probably one of his last speeches here, chooses his words very carefully and tells the people this. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Verse 10 goes on to say, Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb. And when the people said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life, that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. He continues to give them this over and over again. You go to chapter 8, and he lays out their whole story, the history so far, and he continues to tell them, remember don't forget. Don't forget. Remember. I think what he understands is that the gravitational pull of the human heart is constantly toward forgetting God in all the things that he's done. But we go back to 1 Samuel, and he continues into the story in, in verse 8 of chapter 12. He says, when Jacob, or we could say Israel, the people of Israel, went to, into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. We also see this all throughout the book of Judges. There's this cycle that the people continue to go through. God rescues them. He shows them goodness, and yet in their goodness, they forget who gave them that, and they forget God. They forget his commandments. They start to think only of themselves. They start to follow their wants and their desires and these false gods that they see placed all around them and they get into a place of desperation, ultimately forsaking their God and then once again crying out for him to save them. The reality, though, is whenever we forget God, it has devastating consequences. And even though God's grace is real and he comes in and he'll join with us, the consequences of our sin don't just disappear. It it's, uh, continues, go on. In verse 9, he says, So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Because 
Forgetting leads to something. Verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. Because forgetting leads to unbelief. And unbelief leads to rebellion. Forgetting leads to unbelief. And unbelief leads to rebellion. And following your own heart, your own desires. They join in following the other false gods all around them. It says that they have served the Baals and the Asherah. Now, deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Once again, they cried to God. In verse 11, the Lord sent Jeroboam, uh, which we would also say Gideon, and Badan, which has been throughout this story, known as Barak, and Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around, so that you lived in security. Even though God continues to show up in incredible ways, they continue to forget God. The reality is this is not just the story of Israel. This is the story of humanity. So what causes you and I to forget? I think we see it all throughout their story, kind of in three simple ways, and I'm sure it's more, but it's often circumstances, sin, and self. They get into some kind of circumstance that they see, and they all of a sudden say, this is bigger than God. They get into some kind of situation and think, you know, God has been faithful in all this other stuff, but I don't know that he's got this one. Or else they get into some kind of sin, and they think that the sin that's promised will deliver. They, they have some kind of legitimate need, but they seek to, to gain, gain the results they need in an illegitimate way. They, they think that the promise the sin gives them is greater than the promise God has given them. We think that somehow we can find some kind of satisfaction apart from God by our heart's desire through the sin or self. We start to get in the way, either our arrogance and th- in thinking we got this, or maybe our, our unbelief and our fear and the things that start to daunt us that keep us from taking that step forward with God. And for sure, it's a big step because then he brings them just right around the corner. Hey, remember not too long ago, verse 12, when you saw that Nahash, the king, the sons of Ammon, came against you and you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. Although the Lord your God was your king, just flip back one chapter and there's this king that comes in. All of a sudden they're ready to make him their king. But God shows up again. And he shows them that he is the one worth following. And then he continues in to give them a warning. Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Verse 15, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. It's an incredible warning. But when you think of it, Saul is set up for something incredible right here. He's the first king in Israel's history. God has already chosen him, placed him in a position where he can do something significant. He can join in with what God's doing. But if we forget what God has done throughout history, we fail to realize what our role is in it now. So I wonder what Saul's going to do. Will he continue to follow God into the great unknown as the the enemies of Philistine continue to circle around them? Or is he going to follow his own way? Is he going to forget what God's done? and be swept away 
God shows up one more time in this rain throughout this chapter during harvest. It's equivalent to this blizzard happening in southern Florida. Just to show them one more time, I've got this. But then he calls them out one more time to remember. And at the end of this, in verse 24, he says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. So what happens with the rest of the story? How does this continue to unfold? God has been faithful and he has done incredible things. So what will happen if Saul would remember? What would happen if the people could remember? What would happen if you and I could remember? But also what happens if we forget? What could happen? We could remember what great things God has done for you. Let's take a moment in this song and just recall some of the things that God continues to do in our life.
words of that song are so powerful and sometimes we sing through them so quick. But we want to give you a moment to kind of pause with this song. Some of the lyrics, you call me out upon the waters into the great unknown. Although my feet may fail, but I'll find you. I'll find you in the mystery. Oceans deep, my faith will stand. Your grace abounds in the deepest waters I face. And though fear surrounds me, you will not fail me. When oceans rise and oceans deep, my faith will stand. I want to give you a moment before we finish this, this great worship song to think of a time when God's story maybe intersected your story. A thin place moment in the last weeks or months when maybe the words of this song came to life. Take that moment now.
so important to remember. To remember those times when God showed up in our own lives, and it's important too to remember these powerful stories of the Bible. Because I think they serve to both warn us and ready us and inspire us for the moments that lie in front of us. These last couple years for me have been years of unbelievable extremes. The highest highs, and the lowest lows we've ever experienced in our lives, uh, both in work and in our personal lives. In work, it's been amazing to see the stories of change and how God showed up here. I mean, that video last week was, was awesome. And, and we know that's one of just so many that's God shown up in, in the midst of all your lives. It's been great. Uh, many of you have heard me talk about uh, the other thing I'm additionally involved in, uh, harbor and these rhythm and 20 and rogue events we lead uh, that has been the ride of our lives over the last few years as we've seen God show up again and again into the leaders and the pastors lives that have come through here it has been stories that are so incredible that you just gotta step back and say we've been in awe of what God's doing through those leadership events but it's also been in times of ministry for me some of the hardest I've walked through over the last couple of years of my whole life. And in the personal world, uh, the last two years of seeing the coming on the scene of two grandsons for us. Awesome. Amazing. I mean, just way better than I ever thought it would be. It's just incredible. But it's also been a time where we've walked through some really tough stuff with those closest to us. And I would say, on a personal level, the hardest two years of our life. But now, as time has passed and I've been able to look back, a little bit. What I've seen is that God has shown up more often, and I bet you can relate to this, in the hardest, most difficult struggle times, in those moments when you just couldn't know if you were going to be able to see a way through. It was those times when the obstacles were so huge and so significant that it is just no way unless God shows up. And in those times, I saw that multiple times, not fixing it, but reminding me that I, he's with me every step you take. Take the next step. You got this. You can do it. And, and it's just so powerful to remember that, right? Saul had forgotten. By the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13 in 1 Samuel, he'd already forgot. Forgot to put the Lord first. But his son, Jonathan, Jonathan didn't forget. He was about to very, live a very different story than his father. Saul, Saul had gone astray. God's hand had come away from Saul, and as a result, he had led an army and a whole country astray. Now they were fearful and defeated. In fact, Saul had his army now facing a superior foe, hiding in caves and holes, the text says in chapter 13. 
afraid to engage a far and vastly superior enemy. Defeated before they even took a step out of those caves. They knew they were done. God's hand had removed from them. They had forgotten. And the Philistines, this arch enemy of the Hebrews that Josh talked about, this army had garnered a killer force. Formidable and massive by any standard in any era. Chapter 13 in 1 Samuel says there was 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many fighting men that it was like pebbles of sand on the beach. An overwhelming force that had one goal, takes all and the army out. End it right there. No doubt about it. So you can kind of see why the army of the Hebrews are hiding in caves and holes saying, we aren't going out there. This force that had one goal, wipe them out and end it right here. And into this scene comes the son of a king, Jonathan, who's tired, who's tired of hiding, tired of seeing his dad forget. He knows what God's done and how he showed up again and again and again, even when the forces and the enemy seemed impossible to overcome. He remembers and he's tired of seeing his dad sit on his hands and do nothing. And so this son of a king steps out and says, it's time to move and it's time to act. So we're going to pick up this story again now in 1 Samuel 14. If you want to turn that, 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 12. Read along with me if you'd like. This is, this is amazing. Now the day came that Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Really significant and interesting verse they include there, right? Maybe his father out of fear or pride or anger or jealousy or just the instincts of a father would never let him do this, never let him step out. Either way, he didn't tell his father father, to cross over to the Philistine garrison. There was a sharp crag on one side and a sharp crag on the other. So you get this sense there's a narrow passage that they're going to travel, these two men, to get to the garrison. And this is really important. The garrison is the strongest point of the enemy army. That's the strongest point both, both strategically and in force. So they had the most men amassed there. It was high ground like this cliff behind me. And that's, that's the spot. That's the garrison. That's the place Jonathan and his arms bear are heading, to the strongest point of the enemy, war, enemy army. Then Jonathan said to this young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison, the strongest point of these uncircumcised. This is verse 4 now. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or a few. Man, let that verse soak in a minute. His armor bearer said to him, do all that is on your heart, turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. To your desire. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will come and stand in our place and not go out to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hands and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes. 
where they had hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed down to Jonathan and his arms bearer and said, come up to us and we will tell you something. And don't miss the mockery and the shame of that verse. I mean, think about it. You're at the strongest point of the, of the Philistine, the garrison, the high ground, and you got two dudes coming up the hill. It's like, seriously? Come on up here. We got something to tell you. This is old school trash talk now. You know, they know they're dead. I mean, they know totally they're dead. Here comes two, so they taunt them and bring them up and say, come on up. And Jonathan said to his arms bearer at that moment, come after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Man. So good, and there's so much we could talk about right there. I mean, so much strength in that story, but it goes on. And, and some of the next verses are some of the coolest. Because the next verse says, Then Jonathan went up to the garrison high ground on his hands and feet, and right behind him was his arms bearer. And Jonathan at that moment, I mean, grit that scene, it's awesome. Up on the hands and feet, going to the strongest part, his arms bearer right behind him saying, let's go. And they get up to the top and he slaughters the Philistines on that hillside. And the text says in the next verse that the Philistines begin to fall in front of Jonathan. And as the Philistine camp begins to see this and see their men fall before they're even approached by the war, the tremble in their Philistine camp begins to happen. And then it says the earth begins to shake and quake. And the Philistines begin to panic. And it becomes clear in this story now, these two men are not fighting alone. God is on the move. Now, if this story doesn't want to get you to take the next hill, I don't know what does. Verse 22 then, as it closes, says, When all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country heard that the Philistines had fled, even they, even those in hiding, came out of the caves and the holes and followed them closely in battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread well beyond Bethaven. And this is a story powered first by relationship, right? Jonathan's relationship to his God was unchanged, unwavering, despite the circumstances in front of him. Didn't alter the course, didn't alter his belief, didn't alter his faith. He took the next step that he was feeling called to do, and then the next one. What a powerful moment of relationship there. So different than his father, and thank goodness he didn't follow in the paths of the father in this case. And how about the relationship with Jonathan and his arms bearer? I mean, such a powerful picture as they crawl up that hill together. And, and that verse of his arms bearer saying, I'm with you no matter what. Now, we know, you and I know, that kind of relationship, that's hard to find. When you got some people that are in your foxhole that got your back, they won't talk out of both sides of their mouth about you, depending on who they're with. People that'll go and take the next step with you no matter what. Man, you got to fight for those relationships and hang on, right? Because those are hard to find. And throughout life, they continue to be hard to find. When we started uh, Harbor uh, several years ago in the midst of my journey here at church and began to launch these leadership events at Rhythm and 20 and Rogue, uh, at the front end of that... Uh, I, like Jonathan, could never have done that alone. You get the feeling when Jonathan, in his example, brought the arms bearer around him, he said, he told him that because he just didn't do it alone. And I think one of the strategies of the enemy is to isolate us and pick us off. 
And you got the sense that Jonathan needed to know his arms bearer was with him. Didn't tell his dad because he knew he wouldn't be with him. But he told this young man he, he was with him. And when we launched this dream of thinking about how could we impact leaders across the country with a belief that if we just deeply invested in 20 at a time, we could actually have national impact. Crazy belief. And then we're going to make these guys, as three of us sat around and talked, make application to come into this. And some of them, not all of them are going to make it because we're only reaching 20 at a time. And they've got to commit to a three-year process. Uh, one of the guys with me said, that's crazy. That'll never happen. Will they ever, anybody ever commit to a three-year process? Let's do it. I'm with you. Let's go. I'm telling you, I could have never taken the steps that we took without them. There's no way. No way I'd had the courage, you know, to take that next step. So like the Hebrews, what else about this story? Like the Hebrews, we have an enemy that wants us to forget. Because that enemy knows if we remember, that's what gives us the strength and the courage and the resolve to take that next step, to take that next step of faith, to live it out as best we can, to love people around us as best we can. When we remember, that's what gives us that strength and resolve. We can't forget. Now, I'm in the midst of the busiest year of my life. Earlier this year, as you know, there was some leadership transition here, and we, and we uh, got a new directional team, which is an awesome group of five guys that are leading this this place now, and it gave me freedom to continue to invest in this thing that was really growing. And uh, currently, with uh, Rhythm and 20 Row, we got 23 different groups that have gone now uh, from 40 some different states. Uh, five groups going as we speak. We've invested in seven different cities this year and three more this fall, where we have a lot of leaders that have come through this. And I've asked myself, can I keep doing this? Can I keep doing this at this pace? Because this is exploding. And uh, I don't know if I got what it takes to kind of keep rolling. And then two weeks ago happened where we took 20 alumni of either Rhythm and 20 Rogue on this epic trip to go find this cliff, this cliff that had become such a symbol of the faith journeys that God's called us all to. In the midst of those four days of this adventure with these guys, I got to hear their stories again, again, of the impact and how God had shown up in the journey of Rhythm and 20 Rogue to give them what it takes to keep going, to keep their marriages together, to keep their ministries or their businesses rolling and have the kind of impact they were dreaming of. And I just heard it again and again. One of the guys that went on this trip was a young pastor out of Durango, Colorado, joined one of our early Rhythm and 20 groups. And uh, as he told his story, we decided to capture that story as a great reminder. Because these things we can celebrate together, of the impact God's doing uh, through this, this place. And so I want you to watch with me DJ's story, and then we'll, we'll get back together. So I'm here in Iceland, six years after I started my rhythm journey, and I could not have imagined like how far and how much would happen in the last six years. Uh, six years ago, my wife and I moved to Durango, Colorado, to plan a church. We were ready to charge the hill and reach people for Jesus. We knew it was gonna be hard, but what we didn't realize was just how hard it was gonna be. There was this rigorous testing we went through that actually uncovered that down deep, I was gonna really thrive at the newness of church planning, but really struggle with the endurance of church planning. And they actually told me 
unless some things change, uh, you're gonna really struggle to deal with all of the tension and pressure of ministry. The way I lived life was, I would literally pour out the entire cup, whatever was in it, I would pour it out until there was nothing, and then I would crash, and then I would wait, and it would slowly recharge, and then I would pour it out again. I realize now I was literally stepping into um, a, a life that I couldn't sustain. At the same time, we found out about Rhythm in 20, and a friend and I decided to jump in. So within a month of going to Colorado to plant the church, here we are at Rhythm in 20, just like learning how to have space balance and uh, endure a call, and yet at the same time, how to be radical in the way that we pursue what God has called us to do. You're with 20 other guys who are all saying, we want the same thing. You know, we wanna make a difference, but we, we realize it happens with this long, steady, persistent, rooted, like, intensity. And that's what I was longing for, going to rhythm. That's what I've just been longing for in my life. Through the rhythm journey, uh, Tim and the crew, like, literally taught me how to have space. I think what's happened more than anything has been a course correction in terms of how I see myself and how I pursue the meaning and purpose and beauty of God. It has like birthed a lot of the backbone that I've needed to be able to sustain and to continue to sustain where God has me. It is so hard to sustain that. Anybody can do it for a weekend. Anybody can do it for a month, you know? But to do that for a year and then let a year turn into a decade and then a decade to turn into generation. You know, we need so much more than just passion. Going through the rhythm journey taught me how to bring in this other piece of finding space and connecting with God to the point that I really believe now that I can sustain the calling that God has for me. So I don't know about you, but when I see that, I think not only DJ, but the 200 other pastors that have been through one of these events from around the country, from Virginia Beach to Los Angeles, that have similar stories, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's take it. I mean, you know, whatever comes next, we can do this. And man, this is something we can celebrate together, is these kind of stories, because of the reality is God does show up in the day-to-day and to deeply impact things, if we just remember. What else about this story? Jonathan refused to hide. He refused to stay hiding. He refused to settle. He refused to coast. He refused a father to follow in the footsteps of a father who was denying God and living differently. Really quick side note. I love biking. And I love mountain biking. I always have a bike on in the summers just so I can catch it and get some time. Uh, I'm a fan of it all in all. But, but the famous, most famous bike race in the world of either road or mountain is the Tour de France, right? 21 stages, 2,100 miles of racing, hundreds of bikers going to that race in this crowded field. And they go through mountain passes and all kinds of weather and endure everything. Do you know where the most wrecks happen on the Tour de France? where the most wrecks happen on the downhill. Not up the, not up the grind of the mountains, 
<laughs> whether it's on the downhill, when they're coasting, maybe when they have just a moment to relax and celebrate that they kind of got up that hill. Now, we've seen that time and time again in the leadership events I do, the guys that are striding and moving and accomplishing, and then they get into a coast, and this is a real threat to coast, to settle, to hide for those of us that have walked with God for a long period of time, and to not step out, just a little easier to just kind of take the next step and just kind of coast. But that's where the danger happens, and I think Jonathan knew far more dangerous to be in those caves than it was to step out against a massive army. That's just the truth. We're risking way more to stay in hiding state. So what else about this, this story? There is a time, right? There is a time to step out into the dark. God calls each of us in one way or another to follow him. That's the essence of the faith journey. There is a moment to step out into the dark when things, our ducks aren't in a row, when things aren't figured out. Take a look at verse 4 one more time. 1 Samuel 14, verse 4, one more time. Then Jonathan said to his arms bearer, the young man who was carrying his arms, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or a few. I mean, that's an amazing phrase in the Bible. Perhaps God will show up. This man's about to put his life on the line and the young man with him. And his word is perhaps God will show up. There's a story I remember when I first came on staff here and the previous directional, on the previous directional team, uh, we weren't yet in this auditorium. And uh, when I came on about 13 years ago and, uh, and uh, the finances were really getting twite, tight, bills were coming due. We actually had a staff meeting where we told people, you got to cut back your uh, ministry costs. We put a hiring freeze on. And we were in a bit of trouble because we didn't know where money was going to come from to pay the bills. And this thing was almost ready. It was an overwhelmingly hard time. And I'll never forget this moment as a directional team gathered Jeff Peterson's office. And uh, we were praying. And, and Jeff said specifically, God, if you don't show up in this moment, we are dead. <laughs> we're dead. If you don't show up in this moment, it's It's lost. And there was this quiet time after that reflection because we knew he was right. And probably just where God wanted us to be. To get to points in our life where if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Otherwise, we're relying on ourselves, right? The last thing of this story that's so impacting for me is the actions of a few inspired the many. These two men in this case, but their story after story in the Bible of women, who inspired, who stepped out, who put their life on the line. So the actions of few inspire the many. I stand before you this morning in front of 1,500 sons and daughters of a king. No different than Jonathan. We're sons and daughters of a king. And I wonder what's stirring, not just this morning, but maybe what God's been stirring and nudging you on in the previous weeks four months. Is there some steps we need to take? Is there a perhaps God moment in front of us? That step may be something we need to step toward and do, a conversation we may have. We may say, perhaps God would be with me in this conversation as I ask his people for forgiveness. Or maybe perhaps God could be with me as I give me the strength I need to forgive this person. Maybe it's to take a hill and to start. Maybe Perhaps God can help me step away from something to slow down. 
we built a whole ministry around getting people to step off the treadmill and create space and listen to God because we believe that's when it happens. Maybe that's the most courageous step you can take. But before we end the day, I'm going to ask you to do the most intentional work you've done for a couple minutes. As the music plays and before we enter into some, some worship together, is I want you to really think of this and take the risk of naming it. Perhaps God would be with me in this. Perhaps God would be with me in what? There's an insert in the bulletin you came. Hopefully you got something to write with. On one side of that it says perhaps God, and I'm actually asking you to literally think about it. And if something comes to mind, to write it down, name it, take that chance, and see, is there a step? What could happen if this group took a step toward God, a perhaps God moment, what kind of influence could that have for those around us going forward? Powerful, amazing, incredible influence ahead of us if we were willing to follow God into that kind of obedience. So let me pray and we're going to give you a couple minutes and then we'll close with some song. Lord, thanks for this moment. Thanks for this powerful reminder of the story in the Bible. heartbreak for those that have forgotten because we see what happens when we forget but we're reminded again there's such power in remembering thank you for that warning and that promise and that inspiration of this story give us the strength to step out in the ways we need to step out this morning i pray you just help quiet us and listen give us the words we're looking for and we need and we're hoping for perhaps god You'll be with us in this. Amen.